Good morning, Cibola Creek. As we continue our exploration of the theme, Becoming More Like Jesus, our guest teacher today is Joe Teep. Joe is our executive pastor of leadership and ministry development here at Cibola Creek. And what Joe does around here is to help make sure we are offering you the resources and opportunities that you need to take next steps in your spiritual journey. Joe is also helping us find and develop good leaders for all that it takes to make Sybil Creek effective at what it does. So if you think you might want to help us by serving in some capacity here at Sybil Creek, I suggest you talk to Joe and let him point you in the right direction. But now, give Joe your attention as he shares with you what is on his heart about becoming more like Jesus. Well, good morning, church family. How are we doing? Did you, are, are any of you wet out there? Because there are definitely some little kiddos who wanted to try and give me a hug. And I was like, wait a second, white shirt. This isn't happening, May. And <laughs> that was fun. We had a good time. But hey, uh, if you didn't get the chance to be able to participate in Water Day, there's still time. Don't worry. Um, uh, thanks so much for being able to join us this morning. Uh, if you didn't know, my name is Joe. And like Paul said, love to be able to talk with you if we haven't met. Uh, hey, at the beginning of the, our summer series, we had the chance to be able to take a little quick survey and uh, about what would you like to become more like Jesus in and what characteristic would you like to become more like Jesus? Well, I wish I had seen the results before I chose because uh, these were these were the uh, series that we were wanting to be able to make sure an address being devoted, being gracious, uh, unselfish, forgiving, compassionate and humble. And of course, you know, being so humble, I figured, why not take humility? That's a joke, if you didn't know. And, and uh, all of you thought that uh, only 3.8% of you wanted to become more humble within that way, or at least focus in on that way. So I was like, dang it. Uh, I wish I would have served in something else. But you know what? It is a good topic. And today we get the chance to be able to address humility um, as a whole and as a church family. I'm not sure what that means or says about us, but here we are. And here we go. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I thought a lot about this uh, while on the beach this last week uh, because uh, uh, Caitlin and I had the chance to be able to. Um, oh, I'll come to that in a second. And that just like threw it out because that's exactly what I felt like today. Uh, this last week, man, Ken, I like I, I felt like I resonated with him. <laughs> Because I was on the beach uh, getting a tan and uh, enjoying the, the poolside and then making a dip into the ocean and back and forth with a little drink with a little umbrella in it as well, too. And some of my friends said, like, hey, how does it feel to be a kept man? And I was like, wait a second. I'm way more than that. I have a personality and what have you. And, of course, you know, I had the chance to be able to be humbled within that. So... Amid tanning, uh, I did what anyone would do, as, uh, which was to be able to review the new Barbie movie and be able, to, uh, be able to learn all about it. And man, did I learn that times have changed. Uh, Barbie is no longer just a little doll, and nor has she ever been intended to be, but certainly times have changed. Um, one of the things that I recognized as I was reflecting is that, man, we are living in a, not just a a culture shift, but we are living in multiple 
culture shifts about what we believe and what we think and how we act. And any synthesis that I could be able to do is only going to be able to be a generalization to be able to give a broad brush strokes. But man, there is one common theme, whether it be from Barbie or anything else, which is that you are at the center. Our culture ends up telling us that you are at the center and happiness, your happiness is up to you. So let me show you what I mean. First, we think about like the American dream. Some of you grew up with this version of the American dream where happiness and success was really all about that white picket fence, the two and a half kids and a dog, or if you're like me, a cat. Um, and one has described the American dream saying, hey, it is reaching a point in your life where you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, and you get to do everything you do want to do. And one, have said, <laughs> one has said that the one who dies with the most toys wins. And the American dream says, hey, you can make it to the top. And, th and that is what is going to make you happy. And while pursuing, while some are pursuing and still pursuing their toys, uh, culture certainly has shifted. See, you go from, if you can't achieve that car and that house, at least you can be good. And that really brings us to the idea of moralism. See, if you can't achieve, then all you just need to do is act right. So the moralistic type of way of life is really centered on uh, five core tenets. Uh, it's about the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good. Like good people, they'll always go to heaven when they die. And then third, like a God exists who created and ordered the world and he just watches over it, but he's from a distance. And he just wants you to be nice, to be fair. And it's taught, that's taught in the Bible, but it's also taught in every other world religion. And then the last part of moralism is really just the idea that God does not need to be particularly involved in your life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem, which really makes me think about uh, Jelly Roll's like a uh, song of like, I, I pray a prayer. If you ever say, heard that country song, like that's what it's talking about. Now, like you can work your way up to be by being good. And when you're good, then you will be truly happy. And good is really just being defined by your popular culture. This way of life definitely exists in our society today and here in Fair Oaks. Like Christian culture where everyone is a Christian, um, like this is what happens. Like we just say, hey, just be happy and be nice and everyone's okay. Well, that, that isn't always going to reach happiness. And yet culture continues to change because it's not like it once was. See, moralism has actually given way to the idea of secularism. See, uh, it says that your original design is your true self and you are inherently good. But trauma has experienced, you've experienced trauma in your life and that it, and has destroyed your true and good self. So life and others and culture and religion, especially, they've all just corrupted you. 
And so the reason for your low self-esteem, for your anxiety, for your unhappiness is really all of those things. So you just need to rid yourself of them and to be able to make space for space for your pleasure, space for you to feel good about yourself. And if there's anything difficult, you just need to toss it off. So you need to flee from external given identities, binding commitments, difficult things, any restrictions to your own autonomy. Pursuing you is what's best. That's why you end up getting Instagram walls <laughs> and avocado toast and, and down with the patriarchy and different colors of hair within our next generation and such. It's because it's all about self-expression within that. And there's an overlapping identity or there's an overlapping driving purpose and focus about each of these different ways of life. See, the American dream, it gets things for you. Moralism, it's dependent on you and secularism it just says well you know what you do you and then you'll get be happy it's all about you but the challenge is is that they don't really live up to the hype see it leaves us really wondering like when do i have enough achievements when do i have enough toys is my appearance really good enough and often it actually leaves us more isolated than we realize because when you end up comparing yourself to someone else, it doesn't create community, it creates competition. And all the while, we're just wondering, really, these couple things. Am I safe? Do I really belong? Am I valuable? And is everything really going to be okay? See, the problem of, of pride is really depending on yourself. And it is so pervasive throughout whatever culture, whatever generation, that it's difficult to, at times to be able to see this way out. I think Mick Jagger was right when he said, really, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Thankfully, though, God, he views the world through a different set of lenses. See, unlike the world that tends to focus on, the, on <laughs> helping get ahead, God, he seems to prefer the poor and the lowly, just as much, if not more than the Fortune 500 CEO or the supermodels who frolic on the beach. Like one author, man, he wrote like this. This is so good. Listen up if you aren't like the gospels. He said, he writes this, the gospels show us who impresses Jesus. Listen, a widow who placed her last two cents in the offering. A dishonest tax collector so riddled with anxiety that he climbed a tree to get a better view of Jesus. A nameless, nondescript child. A woman with a string of five unhappy marriages. A, a blind beggar. An adulterous woman. A man with leprosy. Strength, good looks, connections, and the competitive instinct may bring a person success in a society like ours. But those very qualities may actually block their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Dependence and sorrow and repentance and a longing for change. These are the gates into the kingdom of God. See, in God's kingdom, the way isn't up. The way is actually down. See, God is building a kingdom that isn't just for a select few, but instead is available to all. 
It's a place where anyone can find happiness and can flourish. To the world, God's kingdom appears upside down. But in God's kingdom, it's not about how high you go, but instead about how far down you're willing to go. See, the key is really humility. This is the very thing that the world despises, but it removes you from the center of life. And we don't want any of that. We want to be the center. And yet Jesus, he guarantees that living a humble life with him at the center, not you, will give you everything that you've been looking for, including happiness. And he guarantees it. See, one day when Jesus was with his followers, he ends up taking them up onto the, the mountaintop. And I remember being there and uh, overseeing the Sea of Galilee. And it was just this beautiful day and what have you. And I envisioned like what it was like for Jesus. He goes up to the mountaintop and he ends up sitting down under this beautiful little tree. And he's overlooking and, and, and he's with his followers, the people who believe he is Messiah, who've given up everything to be able to follow him. And what he begins to sit down and tell them is like, okay, now that you have chosen to follow me and to be able to make me your king, your Lord of Lords, your, I am your Messiah. He ends up saying, okay, now that you're there, this is then how you should live. And this is what he starts out his whole entire message with. He ends up saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And man, I absolutely love and am challenged so deeply by this one verse. And it is so incredibly powerful. But Jesus so desires his people to be able to get the kingdom of God in everything that he offers so freely. And the way, the key to be able to unleashing the kingdom lies in this one verse. In fact, it's been said that like every other blessing, every other promise of God, everything that he, he, we could possibly get from the Lord begins here. So if you get this, you get the rest. So then let's take a look. What does this even mean? Well, we start with the fact about what it means to be blessed. And to be able to be blessed is, uh, comes from the Greek word, makarios. And some translations, they use the word happy. So does blessed then mean happy? Not quite. See, blessed is, is not typically what we think of as happiness. Because happiness in, world, in the world's sense is circumstantial. It, blessed is not health and wealth. And that type of happiness is all subjective. It's based on your circumstances. But blessed people in the eyes of God, uh, they can actually be happy, can be blessed and have poor circumstances. See, blessed is even better than temporary happiness. Blessed means approval. It means to be able to sense God's smile upon you, to feel his acceptance, to receive his love and his deep affection for you. Blessed people, those are the types of people that live out of a security of knowing their worth and their value, not by what other people say, not even based upon what they think about themselves, but instead about what God thinks about them. That is being blessed. Jesus here, he's making this objective statement that being blessed is not on your feelings. It's not about your circumstances. It's about what God thinks about you. And to be blessed means you have found the approval of God.
And Jesus, I, he's telling us how to have this kingdom approval. Because the, and he's saying that the way up in God's kingdom is by going down, and it begins with being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit really means being humble. It means recognizing that you, who you are before God, that you are actually spiritually bankrupt, that you are God and that, or well, that's where you, the pride would be, but that he is God and you are not. Thanks for the reminder, Joe. <laughs> It means an absence of your pride, of self-assurance and self-reliance. Humility is knowing your true position before him. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis who wrote, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good all the time. Humility, being poor in spirit, is the fundamental characteristic of every single disciple. All of, other, of God's kingdom promises and blessings flow from it. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. James 2.5 says this, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to possess the kingdom of God. Now, humility... Humility often has some misunderstandings that are associated with, especially when you have a world that despises the idea. See, and this is what we're going to work with. The definition is humility is knowing your position before him. And it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so then there's these misunderstandings then that can come about with that type of definition. Because in the world's eyes at best, it can be a person that's seen as someone in the quiet, in the corner over there. They're hiding in the background. They don't really take up much space, avoiding attention. That's at best. But at worst, it's just a weakness. So then we have to ask some really hard questions then. Like, does being humble mean I have to be a weep and wimpy person just in the corner? No. See, humility is having a right view of your strengths. See, you are created in the image of God. And if you actually don't utilize your strengths, there's a problem. That actually can be prideful. Like, oh, I'm not really that good. I'm just going to, I'm not really gifted in that. I, I can't really play the music like that. I, I can't really, I can't. When in actuality, you're the best musician in the room and you just aren't willing to be able to step up. Like God has gifted you when you end up recognizing and honoring your strengths, your God-given strengths, then, oh my gosh, then God can shine in and through you. Guys, this last week, I had the chance to be able to go up to a, a, a wedding and at my friend's wedding, which was phenomenal to be able to see all of my college students. And there's nothing like looking back and being able to see the people that you pour into following Jesus wholeheartedly. And it is so amazing and beautiful to be able to see that. But one of my, one, one of my uh, mentors that was a part of my college ministry previously, he doesn't really, he sometimes struggled with like being able to say, I'm gifted. Well, I was like, dude, John, you are such an evangelist. It just pours out of you. Like the love of Jesus, like you just can't keep it in. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. So like I told him that and that died. <laughs> he ends up leading the groom's brother to Christ that night. Like how amazing that was it to be able to see. 
guys, can you imagine having your, you be the groom and have this wonderful wedding day and my brother came to Jesus? Like all because someone shined his gift that God had given to be able to lead other people to know God. Like that is so amazing. But what happens is it wasn't about John and his giftedness. It was about that he had a right perspective. He clarified, yes, I am gifted and being able to lead people to Jesus. But it's all because of him, not because of me. That's where my strength, my power, my, my, that's where it comes from. It comes from him, not from me. When you end up walking confidently in that, that's a gift. Get it? So then the other part is that we're not all strong. As a matter of fact, we all have weaknesses and that's okay. See, being humble actually requires you to, I know my strength over there, but I also know that I'm not strong here. And guess what? Welcome to the club. We all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. And you know what I'm so grateful for? I'm so grateful for you who have a compliment to my weakness. See, your strength, my weakness. Then we get the chance to be able to be community together. I get to be able to learn from you. I get to be able to be sharpened by you. I get to be able to let you take the front and be able to run with it because goodness gracious, you know that Karen's gonna be able to throw a great party and you just want that to be a part of that party because I couldn't even come up with it in that type of way. Like that, that is what we get the chance to do as far as for being community. And your weakness when you are in Jesus, that's not defining of who you are. That just means you're not strong there. Like the strength then that you get to give out of your weakness is to honor someone else. And doesn't that sound like what God said to honor one another, to be able to be in community with each other, to build each other up? Man, that almost sounds like the kingdom of heaven, where we get the chance to be able to have a place in a space where my gifts could be utilized over here in my strengths to reflect God in his image. And then also to honor other people and their strengths. And while they are being able to to reflect God. And then together we get to see his whole community, his kingdom together. So being humble, you can be strong and you can also admit your weakness. Well, okay, well, can I be humble and can I be wealthy? Cause you know, we have some wealth around here. Let's just call it as it is. Absolutely. You can be humble and be wealthy and Jesus spent the most time talking about money and about it. He actually said it's easier for someone to go through a, a, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be able to come to the kingdom of God. So why is that? It's because material wealth can easily mask our spiritual poverty Mother Teresa said it like this, the poor can see better. The poor stand a chance of being saved by God because they know that they don't stand a chance otherwise. See the radical controversial truth to the proverbial wisdom is that God helps those who can't help themselves. It's okay if you can't pull yourself up by the brute straps because God can help you. And even if you are pulling yourself up and you're able, you still got further to go. So we must be aware 
and make sure that when we are trying to be able to honor the Lord and do life, that we're not using our finances and our wealth and our bank accounts as a facade that everything is actually going okay. So here's my question and my challenge to you. The question then becomes, and Caitlin and I have had to do this. We've had to be able to say, are we using our finances and what God has graciously given to us as a way to be able to put our dependence and our hope for life? Where is our dependence? Is it on what I have and I can do in my own stuff or is it upon him? And so I offer this to you as a challenge. And like, I think that it's important for us to be able to, to look at it, look at practically your own financial bank accounts and be able to say, am I giving God my first and my best? Because he gave it all to me and he can take it all away. And so am I using my strengths, my first and my best to be able to give back to him from what he has graciously given to me? Oh, that's a struggle and a trial. I can tell you personally, but man, it is so good. And I can tell you, you can never outgive God. And I can tell you that, man, God, when you come to him, he's going to provide for you in all of your needs. I've never had him fall short. And so making sure that that's a practice that we end up doing is important. And it's a place for us to be able to experience the kingdom and the kingdom of God. Okay. So, well, what about ambition? And can I be ambitious and humble? Absolutely. Yes, godly ambition is not forbidden. Notice the adjective there. Godly ambition. See, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, 1, it's, it calls ambition as a good thing for those who want to be an overseer in the church. It calls it actually a noble task. You want to be a leader in the church? Man, that is a noble task. But motives matter. So what's your why? Why do you want to do the ambitious thing? Who are you doing it for? Is it a part of your strength that you're being able to reflect God to the rest of the world? Or is it a part of your weakness that you're trying to gain security and value and worth based upon actives, your actions that you do in the world? Why are you wanting to be ambitious? Only you and, and between you and the Lord can you bring clarity to the understanding of why you do what you do. But you certainly can be ambitious and humble. See, humility is a form of spiritual modesty that is caused by understanding our place in God's bigger picture. And when we practice humility, there is a promised blessing. Okay, so what is this promised blessing of God? Well... Jesus teaches that if we are humble, we're poor in spirit, then we will receive the kingdom of God. And if you remember recently, or uh, one of my last messages, it was all about the kingdom of God is where it brings about shalom, where everything flourishes as God originally intended, where you have right relationships between you and God, between you and others, between you and creation and between you and yourself. So when you end up receiving the kingdom, all of those relationships will be positively impacted and that they will be able to allow you to flourish like God wanted. And the way that you get that blessing is through being poor in spirit or being humble. 
So let's just break that down a little bit. So with God, when you are approved by him and you are humble, you get to receive that right relationship with him. You are chosen by him. You get to walk with him just like they did in the garden of you get to enjoy his presence. You are heard by him. He gives grace and mercy to you. He protects you. He defends you. He delivers you. He lifts you up and he actually will exalt you at the right time. See, God, he then uses you as a humble vessel because he's at the throne of your life, not yourself, but he is then he can then use you to be able to even accomplish his good purposes. So he doesn't need us to be something. When this happens, God is the one who ends up getting the glory. And so then not only do we get the relationship with God when we receive the kingdom of heaven, but also with others. <laughs> have you ever been around that person who's just super humble? <laughs> like, do you have somebody in your mind? I do. His name's Larry. Man, when I get around Larry, whew, man, it's so awesome. My shoulders relax a little bit. My tone slows down. You probably just even notice it right now because <laughs> I was just even thinking about him. Like something inside of me, it just lets go because I know that I'm going to be fully seen, that I'm fully loved, heard, accepted, warts and all. And let me tell you, there's plenty of them to be seen. It's a precious and a rare gift that he gets to be able to give me. It gets behind my protective walls. You know what I'm saying? It gets behind those walls and they allows them to be able to come down. I think that one of the things that I see is like when we are humble in our relationships, we actually get the chance to really experience this beautiful, uh, beautiful way of doing life together. I was thinking about it as far as for like my spouse, my lovely, sweet sweetheart, Caitlin and me and how in times now nah, we fight <laughs> like at times we have some have said like, you know, like, um, intense fellowship, but it's not always intense fellowship. Sometimes my own humility is nowhere to be found. And then when we end up having like a conflict, what ends up happening is then we end up having each of us has our own comfort strategy. The things that we do when we face conflicts that we think will actually make me feel better. So sometimes yeah, I can get big and I can be able to fill the room and then Caitlin's over there and I win, right? <laughs> like, and when Caitlin, when that happens, Caitlin can't have a relationship with me. All she does is have a relationship with my bigness. I'm over there, but she's having a relationship with my bigness over here. Some of you, like you can have a, a conflict, a comfort strategy of just running away. And you can just, I do not want to be in conflict and I'm just going to whoop. I'm out of here. And that is really hard to be in relationship when you're over here and somebody rolls over there and they are running away. You can't have relationship. And then you end up having others who will just be yes people. They'll just say yes, nod their, nod their head and just be able to take whatever you end up giving them. And because they think that if I just am a complicit to whatever the situation is going on and I don't then everything will be fine. It'll be smooth. It'll be okay. We won't want to ruffle any feathers or, or create any waves. And then you also have others who just want to be able to control. 
I'm gonna be able to put you in your box and be able to make you do whatever it is that I'm gonna be able to do that. And if you ever get outside of your box, we're gonna put you back in, right? And then there's others who need to be boxed, who are like, no, I can't do anything without just being told what it is to do. Well, each of those different areas, each of those different comfort strategies and things are really just an element of pride. There are things that aren't actually humble. Even if you are a yes person and you end up just saying yes to everything, that's actually not always humble. Because if you're gonna enjoy the kingdom of God, you're gonna have relationship with the actual person, not with your comfort strategy. And your boom, pride can get in the way. And see, what happens is when you are humble, you actually begin to realize that when I'm in relationship with this other broken, sinful human being, I get the chance to be able to be responsible for and how I choose to respond. That's like what Landon was talking about, not not being uh, unoffendable, right? That whole idea and that message that he ended up giving to us. It was just like he and Stephanie, it was like the idea of how do I not be offended, And instead of being able to put on my comfort strategy and being hard, I end up actually being humble. And I can tell you that this whole thing has saved my marriage. Genuinely. I had to unlearn from my past about how to be able to respond to conflict. And it required me being humble to be able to work within myself, to recognize that I am not God He is, and he has a better way. And that I can be able to deal with my insides and my hardships and my challenges and all the rest, and it's okay. I will still be loved. And that my wife will love me. Instead of being pushed away, instead of me running away, she will actually step towards me. And it it starts with and begins with my own humility. And so I turn to you and say, are you humble? Are you willing to be able to do the internal work that's necessary to be able to restore relationship? Because if we're humble, it's not always easy. In fact, it's not easy, but man, is it good. And when I start out of here, out of this relationship with Jesus, that no matter whatever I've done, no matter my warts, no matter my problems, no matter anything else that's here, like I'm still loved. I am chosen. I am secure. I am in him. And if ever you have ever gotten to the place of forgetting that, all you got to do is look back at the cross. All you got to do is look back at the fact that he was willing to be able to come and to be able to die for you. That he was willing to be able to leave up there and to be able to come down here to the place where he did not need to leave. He chose to leave for you and for me. And he was willing to be able to come and be able to show us what it's like. See, Jesus ends up giving us this absolutely beautiful model. See, he doesn't just talk about it. He actually models it for us. See, when we look at Jesus, what does he do? He is humble. That is what he is. He is low. He is meek. He is willing to be able to take on your and my sin. And what then does he do? He puts his faith and trust in God that what he says is true. And that if he ended up being poor in spirit, being humble, that God would give him the kingdom of heaven. And what happens three days later? 
Jesus rises from the dead. What happens thereafter? But then he ends up getting to show the world that he can conquer death. What happens? But Jesus is exalted to the highest of high places where every day, where one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And what does he choose to do? But instead continue his humility by being able to, gr- to grant you and I every single blessing, all spirit spiritual blessings. He doesn't just want it for himself, but he wants to give it away to you and to me freely. That is our God. That is our Jesus. That is the one who has lived and died and rose again for you. And he invites us daily into this relationship where you can experience the beauty of what it's like to walk with him. Is that not amazing? Amen. Okay. Well, I'm awake. So I hope you are too, because that is amazing. That is the God that has come to be able to give us a life and a life worth living. Amen? Amen. And so it's this then, that it requires of you and it requires of me to enter into that relationship, to remember where you came from, to remember what he's done for you, and to be able to then live differently because of it. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit who he has gifted and granted you and me upon receiving him as your Lord and Savior that we can actually do it. It's not dependent on you. If it was, you'd fail. You can't do it on your own. And I think that all 96% of us who didn't say it, say that we needed to grow in humility, need that reminder too. And the 3% of you who did say I wanted to grow in humility, my hope for you is that you are growing in it. And my hope is that we get to grow in our humility of being like Jesus, becoming more like him. And today, if you haven't given your, your faith, your trust into Jesus, if you haven't placed your faith and trust in him, my invitation to you is come. Come to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Let him transform your life and receive the goodness and the blessings that he has for you. Would you pray with me? Thanks, God. Thanks that you give us the chance to be able to be in your presence. Thanks that you give us the chance to be able to know you and to be known by you. That we can be secure in you. That we can be loved by you. Thank you for giving us the keys to your kingdom. And that it is accessible to anyone who wants it at any time, no matter where, how far we've gone from you or how close we are to you. And thank you for your willingness to be able to work with us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. If you, if you are convicting anyone of their, in their hearts or in their lives right now, I pray that they would know that not only the conviction, but also the blessing that they're experiencing right now. Because you want us to experience your kingdom. You want to draw us to you. You want us to be able to have more, way more than what the world offers. And so I pray that we would be able to just repent where we need to, whether that's with our finances, whether that's with our friendships, whether that's with our spouses, our kids, even with you, or even just looking at ourselves the wrong way. God, give us your eyes to see. Give us your ears to hear. Help us to live out of the identity that you have freely given to us. And as we do so, 
may you change us personally. May you continue to change this church to look more like you. May our groups and our life and our community be so filled with love and compassion for one another. May our next generation be able to sense and taste and see that you are good. May we remind and build one another up, celebrating the gifts and the strengths that each other have, and then also being able to complement in each other's weaknesses. And as we do so, may you be pleased, Jesus. Thanks so much. Thank you for giving us this day. We love you. Help us to be humble. Help us to show the world what what true happiness and blessedness comes from. Help us to be like you who knew that going in your kingdom, it's not about how high you would go, but instead to be able to come down for others. We ask this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.